Welcome back. On this episode of Deeper Life, Pastor Sundar Singh Moses shares on a greater revelation demands a greater response. Listen and be blessed. Lovely are your dwelling places. Oh, 
It's a joy and privilege for me to uh, join together this uh, evening uh, with all of you uh, from different places, uh, different countries. And uh, uh, I recognize some familiar names and I'm so glad to connect with you all. Uh, I also want to thank my brother for giving me this opportunity to uh, you know, share God's word with all of you. And uh, so I want to say a word of greeting on behalf of my, of my family here in Lucknow. Uh, we, I originally, I basically from uh, the southern part of India, but in obedience to God's call in my life, <coughs> we have moved to uh, relocate ourselves in North India and uh, this is our 25th year of being here and uh, serving the Lord in various capacities uh, and uh, I praise God for this opportunity to uh, meet all of you like this and bring God's word in this um, meeting. Uh, so before I <clears throat> uh, share from God's word, I just want to uh, Pray along with you. So maybe close our eyes and look to God in prayer. Gracious God, our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege you have extended to us to meet in a manner like this and um, be connected in terms of the uh, online facilities that have been provided for us as we meditate on God's word, very specifically to grow deeper in the knowledge of God, in deeper in our faith, deeper in our obedience to God, deeper in our love for God, deeper in our service to God and to people. We thank you, Lord, for these privileges. Bless the time before us and make it a blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I'm uh, my uh, the, the passage I've taken this evening for our meditation is from the eighth chapter of Mark, Mark chapter eight, and I'm going to read from verse 27 and uh, right up to verse uh, 38, and uh, then we'll uh, we'll uh, kind of uh, uh, dwell on some passages with greater emphasis to derive meaning to God's word and also for our application in our personal life and ministry. Uh, Mark 8.27, Jesus and his disciples were on, the, uh, were on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah and still others, one of the prophets. Uh, but what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Uh, Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them the 
that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, um, and the teachers of the law, <clears throat> and that he be that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely the human concerns. Verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses his, their lives uh, for me and for the God. For the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit the soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. Um, Uh, let me look at my uh, notes as I begin to share with you. Um, first of all, uh, you know, this passage is talking about uh, the identity of Jesus uh, or the Messiah. Uh, let me start with an illustration. There were two people who were uh, terribly drunk one night. And as they, you know, uh, swayed out of the bar, uh, they met a man uh, and uh, said to, and they said to him, Sir, uh, we do not know where we are. Can you help us? The man, being a policeman, was uh, offended that that question was, uh, you know, directed to him. So in his anger, he replied, he asked another question. Do you know who I am? Uh, then the two drunks were taken aback. One drunk sent to the other, hey, come on, let's go. We do not know where we are. And this poor fellow does not know who he is. You know, we may have a smile on our faces uh, to, uh, to think about uh, the way it was interpreted uh, that the policeman really did not know who he was. Um, you know, uh, in our uh, Bible study group, we are studying uh, probably every Sunday since the month of May, uh, the Gospel of Mark, and we have come to the eighth chapter. And uh, uh, when we were reading, many times Jesus performed some stupendous miracles, uh, miracles that are just mind-boggling, like uh, healing people, or exorcising a demon, or producing food for people uh, uh, who are stranded in a remote place, or uh, causing the storm to be hushed to a whisper. Um, you know, the list goes on. Um, uh, even raising the dead. But strangely, whenever Jesus performed an outstanding miracle, he would uh, surprisingly say to those around that uh, do not 
disclose this to anyone. And the, and the Gospel of Mark uh, has this thing going on several times after every miracle. Uh, Jesus would, <clears throat> would immediately say, you know, don't share this to anyone. We call this the messianic the, the Markan uh, messianic secret uh, as to why Jesus did this is a question that uh, we need to grapple. And this particular passage, this particular portion of scripture that we have read, uh, perhaps gives us an answer to that. Um, <clears throat> when Jesus asked the question, who do people say I am? He didn't ask the question because he was not sure of who he was. Neither did he ask this question because he was uh, uh, having this twisted dependence uh, on the opinion of those who are surrounding him. You know, sometimes uh, we, we are tempted to ask people, what do you think of me? Or what do you think of my ministry? We are not really sure. And sometimes uh, through all the discouragements we go, we are kind of hoping that somebody will give us an encouraging word. But this question was not on those lines. This question was an introductory question because if they answered this question, then Jesus would put forth more challenging questions as a follow-up. We call this the learning curve. If you didn't know, the basics, you cannot build your foundation. That's one of the reasons we study the Bible carefully. So they answered. Who do people say I am? They answered. Uh, some say you are John the Baptist. Some say you are Elijah. Some say you are one of the prophets. And we know that both John and, the, and Elijah were national reformers. They stood up against the corrupt rulers of the day. And of course, they had a huge price to pay. And that's also a reminder for us that when we stand for the right, when we stand for the truth, when we stand uh, uh, to live a life based on the teachings of God's word, you know, we would have to pay a price. <laughs> Without paying a price, there is no Christian faith in that sense. And then Jesus again asked them, who do you say? So he asked, he was expecting them to give an answer from the, in terms of a personal response. It's one thing to say uh, of what we believe collectively. We do that when we have probably the Apostles' Creed said in church, you know, I believe in God the Father and so on and so forth. But our personal faith is very essential. Who do you say I am? And Peter, you know, replied, <clears throat> you are the Christ. Because Peter knew that Jesus was more than a John the Baptist. He was more than Elijah. He was more than one of the prophets. He was more than a national reformer. He was more than a miracle worker. He was more than a prophet. Jesus was the Christ. The anointed one of God. And today we have many different ways of understanding anointing. We usually see it as, a, as a, some kind of a, you know, a, a power symbol that elevates Christian uh, life and ministry. That makes us a bit superior than other people. 
But let me just hold on to this fact. When Jesus uh, saw that Peter had given the right answer, a corresponding passage gives us a little more insight from Matthew chapter 16, verse 17 to 19. The similar thing is recorded in which Jesus said, to add to what he said, he said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, which means blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. That means if anyone would come to this grand conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus called that person a blessed person. Many times we are tend to look at the world outside and see so many blessings that people seem to have or they parade it or they flaunt their wealth and you know their, 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 their power, their influence, all these things. And sometimes we feel so small. Sometimes we wonder if we are really blessed, we are the children of the living God. But this passage tells us, no, you are a blessed person. If any person would be able to give a reply to God concerning Jesus, that he is the Messiah, Jesus himself said, you are a blessed person. And secondly, before Simon could, you know, like boast that, wow, he found something which nobody else did. Jesus quickly said how he was able to come to that grand conclusion. He said to him, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So let's, you know, reconstruct this. Jesus is on earth at that time talking to his disciples and one of them, Peter, was going to reply. So Jesus is putting forth the question. Who do you say I am? And immediately Peter would say, you are the Christ. Then Jesus would say how he got arrived at the answer. He said, you know, you know, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, which means it's not a kind of a research and academic for excellence that you have pursued and you have come, you have looked at all the documents and the information that you have, that you have processed it and they have come to this conclusion. No, all these things are important. You can have the scripture with you. You can read it. You can go to church. You can follow the tradition of Christianity. But unless that revelation it is received by that particular individual, the revelation that transforms his life, his belief and his behavior, then that conclusion seems to be worthless. So Jesus was saying that while I was asking you the question about my identity, the Father in heaven has disclosed this to you. You didn't find this on your own. You have received this revelation. And this is one of the things that we do. We ask people to read the Bible. We, all, we all invite them to church to hear the word. We sit in, 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 in the comforts of our homes for when you study the Bible. We can do a lot of research and study and discussions, theological discussions and debates. But unless a revelation is received in our spirit man, concerning Jesus. And then I said to you, it's an introductory question. There's going to be another follow-up question about, uh, about what you believe. When we do that, we, we are born again. And then we are on the sure course of becoming mature followers of Jesus Christ.
You know, when Jesus said about how Peter received that revelation, that truth as a revelation, Jesus quickly added a definition of who the Messiah was. He was saying, hey, Peter, you have discovered this, but let me define the discovery. He said that quickly, Jesus added, the son of man must suffer many things. And we know that this son of man is a title and it's, the, it's, 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 it's uh, also about the, the Messiah who's going to be a suffering Messiah. And our little understanding of the Bible tells us that in Isaiah 53, a lot of details are given as to how he would suffer. Everything detailed for us 700 years before the birth of Christ, when God himself would share this thing to Isaiah, the prophet. And he would say that this would be the Messiah who would come. And he would die. He would suffer. He would die. And he would, after his death, he would even rise again. So we need to stop here and ask, why, what necessitated the death of Jesus? Why should we think about Jesus and his suffering and death? Should we not avoid suffering? Don't we have enough of suffering? Why this? And then two things stand out. Number one, it is the ultimate Example of man's worst against God because of his sin. The sin is so cruel and it has so ginormous, you know, consequences that it needed God to send his son as a supreme expression of his love for man. So on one hand, we see man's worst against God. On the other hand, we see God's best toward man. That's what we see in the cross. And so this understanding of Jesus as the Messiah is so pivotal to our life. There's huge consequences, not just in our lifetime, but even beyond this life. You know, when I was a new believer, I gave my life to the Lord uh, when I was 21 years old. And, uh, you know, I, I was so zealous for God, spent hours in prayer and reading and searching the scripture. And like I was like, it was like a flip of a switch. I, everything looked so new. So I was, you know, caught up in this. And in one of my uh, days of studying the Bible and then experiencing uh, deeper things with God, <laughs> after reading the praying and reading the Bible with my little knowledge those days with not much help and, you know, uh, you know, heavily relying on somebody who would teach the Bible and I didn't have this extra material to read and to think and to assimilate the truths of God's word. You know, I, uh, <laughs> I was reading the Bible and then one day the Lord was uh, impressing in my heart about uh, how wrong I was in reading the Bible. I like the, the method by which I was reading the Bible. He said to me, you know, Sundar, you are, you, you are reading the Bible as though it is a window. Every time you open the Bible, it's like you are opening a window to see 
to, to peek inside the Bible to see all the good things that there may be for you to take it and then apply it in your life. And I thought, yes, of course. I only look at the good things in the Bible and want to take them. If it's a good promise to just, you know, dwell on it, claim it. If it's a good, you know, uh, character, they'll, you know, get inspiration from that. So I was thinking I was really right. Until God said to me, no, Sundar, you, this is not the way you read Bible. You're treating it as a window that you just look and you admire things and whatever fascinating, you just put out your hand, you grab that goodie and you enjoy it. And then you continue on in your life. I said, well, how else should I read the Bible? And the Lord said to me, it's not a window, it's a door to enter. Come inside. Come inside into the Bible world, into the spiritual world. And so I thought, okay, there's a good, uh, it's, a, it's a very exciting thing. So I, 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 I began to imagine myself when I read the Bible, I found myself along with the people in the, in the pages of scripture. Wow, I was I put my shoes in the in, in the shoes of Abraham, you know, like Abraham heard the voice of God. And of course, you can hear the voice of God. Abraham saw the things that God showed him. Of course, we we too can see the thing. So it was something beautiful. I was drawn into that door into the Bible world, into God's world. Then you know, I was celebrating the supernatural. Obviously, there are so many supernatural things in the pages of scripture. So I experienced that. I was very excited. And then very soon I found out my life also was checkered periodically with difficult things, challenging things, sufferings, pain, disappointments. And I said, oh God, I don't want to be here. It's got a mixture of the supernatural and the suffering. So I wanted to have a quick exit plan. So when I tried to exit, I, the Lord said to me, hey, don't run from me. Don't try to get out from here. Stay here. I said, Lord, this is too much. I can't, you know, let me stay out. Let me just pick some of these things and make my life better and improve my life and make it more comfortable and secure. But you are calling me to a life of risk. How could I do it? The Lord said to me, don't run from me. I have chosen you. So I want to say to you with much humility that I'm still living in the Bible world. I found oftentimes it's not just the supernatural. It's also the suffering that comes in high percentages, in frequent occurrences in my Christian life and journey. Now, why am I saying all this is because when Peter heard about Jesus and he had the revelation from God that Jesus was the Messiah, before he could be excited, Jesus added and provided a definition to his discovery. And he said to him, hey, the son of man that you, you are talking about the Messiah, that same Messiah is the son of man, and he must suffer many things. He must die and, be, and he will be raised to life. And you know, Peter didn't want anything of this. A suffering Messiah. We were we are following you because we thought you are the Messiah. And you know, when Barclay was writing some of these things to explain, he, he said something. So I'm just going to quote, you know, the, sometimes the Messiah was thought of as a, as a king of David's line, line. 
but more often he was thought of as a great superhuman figure crashing into history to remake the world and in the end to vindicate god's people the messiah will be the most destructive conqueror in history smashing his enemies into utter distinction so this is something of a uh, imagination that clouded the mind of people who are following jesus he is a great superhuman figure who i would like to have in my life i would invite him to crash into my history and that he would remake my world and he would vindicate me because i am a child of god and this messiah who i follow will be the most destructive no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life is a great word a prophetic word a promise from the scripture but jesus had to suffer so what we have done we have begun to see jesus and the anointing the messiah the messiah the anointing of the messiah it has to, to be a mere superior power symbol not knowing or not willing to accept the fact that this anointing was a supernatural enablement of god to a ordinary person who is committed to fulfilling god's purpose for his or her life and my sentence is not complete and that could include disappointments discomforts pain suffering even death for the cause of jesus christ and his kingdom no wonder no wonder peter raised his voice of protest he said what <laughs> no lord he said you know in, in english we have a, a, a two parts of the word have two opposite meanings we call that oxymoron this is not an oxymoron because it is no and lord but i want to say when you look at it it looks like an oxymoron which means no lord when we say no it simply means he cannot be the lord of my life and when i say lord everything he says no matter whether i like it or not it's comfortable or not it it must have a response of yes so this no lord are two words that cannot coexist and we know that from the life of jesus that jesus already made this commitment way up in heaven philippians chapter 2 5 and talks like this have this attitude which was also in christ jesus and he did not consider equality something to be grasped he was in by nature very god himself but he made himself nothing you see his discipleship started not on earth but on heaven in heaven he would decide to say yes to his father to go on a superior mission of laying his down his life now the point is this is this the jesus we are worshiping is this the the kind of jesus because peter didn't want this he had another of jesus of his own making today we are meeting here this meeting is called deeper and it you know really excites me because that's what our life is all about and it should be 
And what did Jesus do in response to what Peter did? Peter not only said, no, Lord. Peter is the only person who, do, who took Jesus aside. He probably grabbed him and said, let me have a private talk to you like a parent trying to discipline a you know, wayward child. He just took Jesus by, to, to a side and rebuked Jesus. Can you imagine? I don't want this kind of Christ. And who he was talking to? He was talking to Christ himself. What did Jesus do? Jesus also rebuked Peter. You know why? When Peter rebuked Jesus, he was angry because he could not accommodate pain and suffering to be part of his definition of Christ. And many times we are guilty of the same thing. There are some very difficult moments we go in life. We shed tears of sadness. We, 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 we battle in our minds. Am I not a child of God? How can this happen to me? How can this happen to my marriage? How can this happen to my children? How can this affect my financial life? How can this affect my peace? How can Lord, I am not, am I not your child? Because, because we are not able to understand the, the, the pain and suffering has a purpose in our Christian life. Jesus faced it. We too at some time, either in small portions or large portions, maybe in small frequencies or in regularity, we will have to face this. We will still have to hold on to our understanding of Jesus and the understanding of our Christian life if we need to go deeper in God. So when, when, when Peter came to know that he was, a, you know, he had the privilege to hear from God himself, like Moses of old, he could hear from God. He, took the, he had the audacity to even rebuke Jesus. Why? He, had, he was full of passion. But he lacked the knowledge of scripture. If he had known about Isaiah 53, he wouldn't have done what he did. So his, his, his anger, his impulsive nature of rebuking Jesus was simply because he didn't have enough knowledge of scripture. He didn't know that this suffering Messiah has been prophesied way back in Isaiah. Isn't it, isn't it dangerous sometimes when people who claim to hear from God have the audacity to do certain things when other portions of scripture contradict them. So if you want to grow deeper, we need to have greater revelation of God and greater knowledge of God's word so that we will align ourselves with the revelation and the knowledge of scripture. And what you know frightens me is this. Just one minute earlier, Peter resembles a person that every person has the potential to hear from God himself or herself. But then the next moment, we know that that very person can be, without his knowledge, be used as a tool of Satan. 
Sometimes we think, you know, the people who are used by Satan are probably demon-possessed. No, Peter was not demon-possessed, but he was influenced by Satan. And where does Satan influence us primarily? In here, up here, in our minds. How do we know? Jesus said, you don't have the things of God, but you have the things of man in your mind, which means you're using Worldly wisdom to analyze the deep things of God. And you are not knowing that you are the voice of Satan. He's prompting you to say these things. Just like my father was prompting you to say the truth. You are here to manipulate the truth. Make it counterfeit. Redefine Christ. But not in accordance with scripture. So all of us who are being, who are desirous of being used by God must have this caution. God help me. Even as I follow Christ, help me. Help me till the end. That I will not start right and be terribly wrong in the end. After saying this, Jesus called his disciples and also the people around and said, if you desire to come after me, <laughs> deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. You know, this is a shocker. It's bad enough that the disciples hear that Jesus would suffer and be rejected and die on a cross. Now Jesus is inviting them to the same kind of a treatment that they should will be having as they follow him. We always sing the song, come and dine, come and dine. Master calls you, come and dine, because that's a banquet. We never sing, come and die. Because we think it's offensive. Hey, I want to live. Did, didn't Jesus say you will have abundant life? <laughs> and you want me to die? You want me to lose that life? Of course, Jesus spoke so beautifully. He said like this, if you don't understand who I am, if you don't understand how I define myself, and you don't get it, then you will not have a desire to come after me. You see this? There is no desire. No decision. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So if you have, don't have a desire to follow this brand of Jesus, which is scripturally sound, then we cannot make a decision to follow him. And if you don't make a decision to follow him in that as a beginning point, there can be no discipline to follow him till the end. Think about these songs we sing. Make me more like the Jesus. Make me more like the, okay. <laughs> so maybe he will ask her, do you really know what you're singing? So, the, so what is a cross? The cross is a way where people will be, is a way by which people will be executed. The cross is an is a, is a instrument of death on which a sentence will be passed on by the person, on the person who carries it. Are we willing to carry that? Are we willing to die on that cross by denying ourselves? So this taking the cross is not a journey. Like you say, I'm going, I'll, be, I'll come back in two days. No, it's a one-way trip.
But what have we done today? We have sanitized the cross. We have ritualized the cross. We have even metalized it. We have made it into, you know, symbols of gold, jewelry dangling around our necks. Or we have some piece that on which, before which we bow down to show our reverence to God. But no, that is not what it meant to be. It's a decision that I take to follow Jesus of the scripture. And by the anointing power of Holy Spirit, God will give me the ability to take the same path. Not to die without a purpose, but to die with a purpose. You know, it's like a seed. A seed that you you may have bought it from somebody and, you know, just put it aside for a couple of years. One day while you're cleaning the house, you look at a small pouch and you say, hey, these are the seeds I brought from some, this particular place. So what do you do? You just go and sow it. It doesn't mean it's the end of the seed. It means the beginning of the seed. It sprouts and rises to its highest potential. And unless it dies and it is put in the soil, it can never rise to its fullest potential. That's the beauty of taking the cross. We will be something incredibly bigger and better and more useful and effective. The way God has designed us to be. But we need to make that choice. Grow deeper in him tonight, even as we read this word. And in the end, Jesus said, you know, (laughs) he probably pointed out to people who who were offended by these teachings, who didn't get it right, didn't understand the definition, didn't want to follow Christ all the way. (laughs) And they probably ashamed and said, maybe this is not for me. But you know what Jesus said after all this? He said, whoever is ashamed of me, and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the son of man also will be ashamed. What is he saying? Hey, don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed. Live for him. Follow him. Pay the price. But you will rise to your highest potential. You will be a great blessing. Don't define your life simply because you're suffering. God has a greater purpose. It's a life worth living. Because Jesus is worth following. May God bless you. May God encourage you. May God take you deeper in knowing him and following him. Following him on his terms. And then allowing God to do what he wants wants to do with our lives. So that we can be the best we can ever be. May I invite you to close your eyes as we look to God in a closing prayer. Heavenly Father for the joy of uh, reading your word and to father find insights that would revolutionize our thought processes, our beliefs and our behavioral patterns. Father, this evening we just come to you and we lay our lives before you, Father. Take us. We want to follow this Christ of the scripture. We want to have this anointing that was on Jesus that he could do the right thing before his heavenly father. He would live right. He would die on the cross. And his life would produce life in us. Give us this abundant life that we can have as we follow Christ. I pray for every person here this evening that you would, Lord, bless them wherever they are as they hear the word of God. 
that you would, Lord, energize them in their spirit. They would refresh them, Father. That, Lord, they will enjoy the presence of God and the word of God. We pray, Lord, tonight, Father, by virtue of what they believe in Christ, that this same Christ will become alive in their lives. Lord, to grant them peace in the midst of the storm, to give them healing in the midst of sicknesses and illnesses, give them peace and security in the midst of all uncertainties of life. In the name of Jesus, Father, we pray the Holy Spirit of God will cause them, Father, to Lord uh, uh, emerge as God's best that they can ever be. Lord, I pray every person, Father, will be, Lord, healed. And, Father, every person will be saved. Every person will be led by the power of your Holy Spirit and by the teachings of your word. Every person will live right before you. They will, Lord, not be ashamed of you, but be willing to pay the price. And when they eventually, Father, that they will discover their life's purpose and live it fully well for you. Father, we thank you. We commit every one of them, each and every person, and all of us, Father, thanking you for this opportunity. We love you. We praise you. Worship you. Hear our prayers in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. This broadcast is from Transforming Nations for Jesus. If you would like to get in touch with us, please write to us at transformingnationsforjesus at gmail.com. Thank you for joining us. Be blessed.